Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton and Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. How are you doing today, Greg? Just hopping down the bunny trail. I'm doing great. <laughs> How are you? Uh, we're doing great, man. We, uh, it is gorgeous here once again, and we've got a wonderful And here we are locked inside. Is that what you're trying to say? Maybe, maybe. Well, you know what? If we got to be inside, we might as well have outstanding conversations with folks out there doing great things in the industry. And of course, it's always neat that, yeah. you know, that, that, we're looking on the bright side, right? Yeah. Let's go with that. Let's go. <laughs> well, hey, folks, we continue one heck of a stretch of programming with our conversation here today is we're going to be talking about change orders, which, you know mm -hmm. what, if you don't manage them effectively, they can wreak, wreak, is it wreak or wreck havoc? Wreak havoc? Uh, it's wreak havoc. W-R-E-A-K. Thank you very much. Reek, uh, rot, have rot. Ah, okay. Well, I know back that's to the hard point. part, the rot part. That rot havoc, not reek. Bro, man, you just blew my mind. Rot havoc. Well, back, so back to my point. If we don't manage these change orders effectively, they can right. wreak havoc on a team and a business. And then today, we're going to dive in more and more into that. But in particular, Greg, what I'm looking forward about to here today is we're going to be talking with a, about really in the B2B customer service environment, some new ways of really leveraging technology to not only better manage change orders, but mm -hmm. drive overall optimal performance. Greg, should be a great yeah. show, huh? Yeah, agreed. Yep. And, you know, with one of our favorite groups, our friends at Esker, and some people honoring Movember. So yes, stand by for that. Oh, I thought you were going to say stand by and listen up. Oh, Greg, and listen up. There you go. All right. Now we're checking the box, checking the box. And I'm getting some English lessons from our production team that. as well. Thank you, Catherine. <laughs> Big thanks to Catherine Amanda behind the scenes. So see, they said reaped. Yes. But it's not reaped. It's rot. You know That's what? I'll defer to everyone else on the English language, but I do want to welcome in our outstanding guest here today. Looking forward to talking with Graham Smith, Business Development Manager with Esker. Graham, how are we doing? Doing well. How are you doing, Scott? How are you doing, Greg? Good. Welcome aboard, Graham. Appreciate Good. it. Now, we're doing wonderful. So, do you want to weigh in on the hard-hitting English topic of reek versus wreck? Yeah, I, I would say wreak havoc. Okay. Yeah, unquestionably. But I'm not an English major, so I could definitely be wrong. Well, let's shift gears here. Let's talk about a seasonal topic before we get into all the good stuff we're going to be getting into here today with you, Graham. So here's some history for you. On this day in 1721, the governor of the British colony of Connecticut declared the day as a public Thanksgiving. And then about 50-something, 67 years later, after getting families together for 67 years for Thanksgiving, Elijah Craig distilled the first bourbon whiskey from corn in Bourbon County, Kentucky. So, combining those two historical milestones, I want to start by asking both of you, and we'll start with you, Graham, are there any traditional 
or particular adult beverages that you'll be enjoying with your family on Thanksgiving? You know, we're in Wisconsin, so it's going to be spotted cow flowing. Okay. You still haven't had it. Spotted cow. Have you ever had it? No. It's anybody who comes to Wisconsin, get some when they get here. I'll Do try tell. to set you some, Scott. Okay. So what is it? I hate the visit of Town. So it's it? a beer from uh, New Glarus Brewery, which is okay. about, I don't know, 45 minutes away from Madison, but you can only get it in Wisconsin. So typically when I have family coming in, when I have friends coming in, they're That's ordering it right up. Exactly. Hmm. Spotted cow. Okay. We're going to look that up. And yes, I'll, I'd love to uh, procure Captain some of that. On order before we're off air. Guaranteed. <laughs> That's right. So Greg, how about you? I don't know if you can top spotted cow. Well, first of all, I'd like to start by giving thanks for Elijah Craig, his amazing distillery. <laughs> That still operates, by the way, if you're not a bourbon drinker, you may not know that, but it's ebbed and flowed and it is ebbing again. So, or which, whichever way is up, it's good again. Wine. That's what my dad brings to Thanksgiving, the wine. So he doesn't really cook and somebody needs to bring the wine. So thanks dad. That is an important ingredient for happiness at a family gathering. So I look forward. Well, to he doing really the same. does a good job. It, I mean, of picking the right wine to pair with turkey and all of that delicious saltiness and okay, yummy food. Yes, man. Uh, now we're starving, Graham and Greg, as always. So we got a lot of good stuff to get to. So we're gonna move on from the good Thanksgiving food and spirits discussion. And, and as Greg mentioned, give thanks to old Elijah Craig for introducing that. Cooler when you say it. Since he's from the South. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but uh, Graham, you know, as Greg mentioned on the front end, we have enjoyed a long-running long series of discussions with our friends at Esker. Appreciate what you are doing out in the industry. But for our new listeners and folks who may have co- missed those earlier conversations, let's add a little context to our gathering here today. So tell us in a nutshell what Esker does and a little bit about your background, Graham. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I'll actually, I'll I'll start with me, right? So why am I here today? I specialize with helping manufacturing and building materials companies to improve customer relations and eliminate any kind of productivity waste uh, by leveraging AI automation in their customer service groups, which leads us to that hot topic of change order management. And then, you know, kind of who is Esker in a nutshell? So Esker has focuses with AI automation across the procure to pay segments, as well as the order to cash sides of the house. So any kind of back office operations that have manual repetitive steps, Esker can step in, help you to eliminate some of those manual tendencies within those processes. I've been with Esker for about seven years now. Absolutely love it here and excited to to talk about change orders today. Graham, love that. And Greg, if there's anything that we love talking about here and love talking with people that are doing this out in industry is eliminating those boring, repetitive, Manual stuff that really, who likes doing oh, all that stuff, Greg? Yeah, that too. I was talking about the money, but uh, to me, it's all about the ducats. So, but yeah, of course. I mean, and there's money in everything, right? Repetitive, boring, slow, unreliable. All of those things are, they cost you more than just the delay in capital and capital cost. It's a really worthy cause to get all this stuff squared away. Well said. Well said. So speaking of, Graham, 
I appreciate that context on the front end. Let's talk about some of what you're seeing out in the industry. What are you seeing business leaders prioritize or struggle with, or what are some of the things you're seeing? I focus on the customer services side of the house. So really it's a couple of things. It's getting those orders in efficiently, right? There's oftentimes a segment of your customers that has the highest cost to serve and probably produces the least amount of revenue. How are they sending those orders in? Oftentimes it's a PDF. Oftentimes they're sending an email that says, hey, I need 36 rolls of XYZ by Tuesday, which typically means there's a lot of manual intervention that's necessary, right? Uh, and then other transactions as well. Any kind of customer inquiries, whether you're requesting status, if you have billing questions, product questions, typically fairly manual process, and even creating quotes or dealing with claims and discrepancies. Mm. Greg, does any of that sound familiar? Yeah, painfully familiar. Yeah. <laughs> Seven flashbacks. Yeah, man. Flashbacks to the 90s too. So, I mean, mm. some of these people just need to like welcome to the 21st century. Right. But yeah, absolutely. All of that manual entry. And you think about the range of type of companies that people work with. Some are more sophisticated. Some are less sophisticated. Some you can't even use the word sophisticated. And so you get a varying level of performance there and it's really difficult. And like Graham just said, it's really costly on right. your team to, to fulfill against or even pay against a lot of time. Yes. Good stuff. And manual intervention. If that's not a show on A&E, it should be. So Graham and Greg, I want, where are we going to go next? Is kind of getting more focused on the topic at hand, and that is change orders. So Graham, to make sure everybody's with us, is tuned in, or watching, or listening, or you name it, again, a little more context, let's define what we're talking about with change orders. Help us out there, Graham. Definitely, definitely. So essentially, when we say change order, what we mean is when a customer is requesting a change to a parameter on an existing order. So often that change is requested delivery date, quantity, uh, maybe the product itself, requesting an alternative. Um, again, my background is kind of in manufacturing and building materials. So in manufacturing, that might be caused by demand planning, might be caused by their customers, right? And then on the flip side with building materials, a lot of times you're dropping that product off at a site. There's delays on that project and the framers haven't gotten in yet. Well, then you probably don't want four pallets of shingles just sitting in the weather right. for a three-week period, right? right? Yeah, exactly. So Graham, I can relate to some of what you're sharing there. A big part of my background is manufacturing and in particular, sending product out to construction sites. For me, it wasn't homes as much as it was new retail centers, bus stations, even church construction. And to your point, if you don't want stuff sitting there for a variety of reasons, including because they get misplaced really quickly. Can you relate mm -hmm. to that too, Graham? Absolutely. Ab <laughs> Absolutely. It's Either you don't know where it is, or unfortunately, theft is, is a major concern. That's you know? right. I lived in California about 10 years ago, and they were just developing new laws because people would go in and steal the copper right after the electrician went in there. Uh, so there's a lot of risk associated with having a product just sitting there, whether that's because of the weather or, again, because of theft. Yes, and of course, theft is on the rise. We're seeing it across folks stealing cargo, stealing freight, you name it. Greg. When you heard his definition of change orders and, and a couple of those examples that I bet make a lot of sense to some folks out there, whether you've been in the construction, building materials industry or not, some of your thoughts, Greg? Yuck. But, you know, I mean, I think it's something that happens, but uh, it's, you know, it's so disruptive when it does. And the reasons for it are kind of go back to that, those stages of sophistication in a lot of cases. Right. And also to the industry, I mean, to specifically to the construction industry. 
It just happens sometimes, right? And things get out of order and they just have to happen, but they're so disruptive. And I mean, we just keep going back to this. So, so costly. Right. So you have to either work to prevent them very diligently, which sometimes you're not in control of, or respond really quickly and efficiently when they inevitably have to happen. Yes, absolutely. Well, you know, that's a great comment there, Greg. And Graham, let's continue going down the impact path of these manual change orders. And rather than, you talked about a couple different ways of how this impact manifests itself, but the impact it has on the teams themselves, in particular, B2B customer service teams. What are you seeing there, Graham? Yeah, and I want to touch on something that Greg said as well, that oftentimes these change orders are inevitable, whether that is some sort of outside change, maybe that's the end customer, right. maybe that is something with manufacturing. Companies are always going to receive change orders because the demand is constantly changing. Oftentimes, I, I mentioned it earlier, that change order might be coming in the body of an email. Hey, you know, on PO number one, two, three, I need to change the delivery date to Tuesday the third. Right. Oftentimes that's a manual process. I need human eyes to look at that, decipher what that says. Now I need to go into the ERP. I need to bring up that old order. Hopefully I have an order number or something that I can search by in that email. If not, I mm -hmm. might be looking through a list, reviewing by status, going in there, making those alterations, maybe confirming with the warehouse, maybe confirming with my manufacturing operations that we can do this, we can deliver by this date, and then communicating back with my customer to say, hey, actually, we already have that on a truck, so we're not going to be able to change that. Or, hey, we don't have the capacity to fill this. Would you like an alternative product? Or can we extend that date? Yes. So, and Greg, one of the points he's making there is change orders are, they're necessary, I'm not going to call them necessary evil, but they come with, they are. Thank you. I'll let you say it. <laughs> they they come are. with making customers happy and right and chain and work, work. We can be, consumers can be very fickle, right? They, they want certain things and sometimes they change their minds and we're out there to please them and make them into create raving fans. Greg, your thoughts. Yeah. Emphasis on evil. Well, honestly, I'm dealing with a change order right now that was initiated by the, the supplier. So order went in fine. They, I don't know, got super inefficient internally. They had to change delivery date. And now they're here, of course, while we're on air to deliver. Mm -hmm. When they didn't schedule with me to deliver, they just announced at 11 o'clock last night that they would be delivering sometime today. Mm -hmm. So it's a well-known retail brand, something about ceramic containers on a farm, in a building on a farm. And I would strongly suggest that you decipher that and decide to never buy anything online from them. But I mean, it is, it's incredibly disruptive to have these kind of things happen. And ultimately, as we just discussed here, it's about the customer satisfaction, right? And these days, if you can't accommodate the customer, they will find someone who will, because everyone is competing against Amazon or someone like that these days. And the breadth of, of places that you can get the breadth of products that any company can provide exist in so many places. So you have to be both again, preemptive and responsive, but also very cognizant of that customer experience. Right. Well said, Greg. And, and, you know, I appreciate the case, the business case or the value proposition or the, you know, kind of the reasons why we've got to lean into a better way of taking care of these change orders because they're part of doing business 
and, and we need mm-hmm. to uh, act on them and execute on them, take care of customers while making it easier for our teams and put them in more successful, uh, better positions to be successful. And that's what we're going to kind of move to next, Graham, because there is a better way. So we want to pick your brain. I think you're, we're going to walk through three different uh, strategies that you're seeing successful companies really you know, mitigate the impact of these change orders. And again, with my favorite part of this whole conversation, I love taking care of customers, but I love when we can do some really cool things to, to again, make our team's day easier so they can go out there and hit home runs for their customers. So Graham, what are you seeing? What's the first strategy? Right, right. So I think it all comes down to people, process, and technology. We have an ebook out called the digital guide to people, process, and technology, right? Okay. And there's always going to be those three pillars. If you don't have one of those pillars, that is just going to fall, right? So the first thing that I want to touch on is really changing those policies that surround change orders and the behaviors associated with those. I think the old saying of the customer is always right is kind of getting phased out because sometimes you can't fulfill the requests of those customers. And one thing I'm going to add into this conversation last minute as well is order cancellations. So I was talking to a building materials company. I was on site two weeks ago and they still have customers that will send out four orders to four different vendors and whoever can fulfill that first, they are going to take that order and they're going to cancel the other three. Hmm. Because to Greg's point, if you can't fulfill it, somebody else will, right? And I think kind of that philosophy during the COVID era really changed because of all the impacts and all the strain on the supply chain of, I I don't have the loyalty that I used to. So whoever's going to do what I want them to do, that's who I'm going to choose as my preferred supplier, right? So changing some of those policies helps to make sure that you can efficiently manage those change orders because there's so many effects throughout the entire organization. It's not just customer service. It's not just a warehouse. And there's also a lot of siloed breakdowns between there, right? So I was talking to a company. This was probably a month ago. Okay. And they will allow a change order until that order goes on a truck. Now, if they're getting ready to load that truck and they say, hey, we need to change this, they'll say, okay, because it's not on that truck. Well, now maybe that's already on a forklift. I've already taken it out of the yard. I've taken it out of the warehouse. Well, now I need to put that back. So the cost of that change order is exponentially higher than say if you had a 48-hour cutoff time before we've done any of the planning to actually transport that item. Yeah, Graham, that makes a lot of sense. Greg, starting with calling timeout, making sure we're reevaluating policies and not just following policies we created in 1982. That's the year I'm picking on here today. Greg, your thoughts? Yeah, well, Graham has already enunciated that change orders are a fact. They happen. So you have to build a process around them. You can't be scrambling. Every time a change order happens, you have to expect them. You have to plan for them. You have to provision for them, build processes, and of course, support it with technology, but also have your people ready to manage these situations because they are exceptional. There are times when it's going to fall on the edge of, can technology even help us with this sometimes, right? But yeah, to the policies that, you know, that get you there, whatever your customer service policy is, you have to be able to provision for that. And Graham, your point. You have to accept the cost of that. If you're willing to wait until it's ready to go on the truck or it's even on the way to the truck, right? You're going to have to recognize that's costly. And you're going to have to deal with that too. A policy decision around that is necessary as well. What is our cutoff as Graham, you were talking about? Yep. 
Graham, in, in that example you used, was that a new policy change that they introduced because the business had evolved and changed or what? It's just something that they've always done. Okay. And I think the unfortunate truth is a lot of companies do scramble once they receive that change. They don't have necessary policies in place. Or another thing that I was going to touch on for one of those strategies is that they're not willing to communicate or tell their customer, no, I can't do this. Okay. Well, let's go there. That is that communication and how we're communicating. That's the second strategy I think we're going to dive into. So tell us more there, Graham. You know, I think over the last couple of years, everybody's gotten excited about this Amazon-like experience, right? I can order something online. I don't have to talk with anybody. I know exactly when it's going to be there. I can track it and Amazon isn't going to tell me no, right? But unfortunately, in B2B customer service, you might not have that level of sophistication either on the supplier or the customer side to be able to find that information easily, which means oftentimes companies need to be setting better expectations with their customers. This is what we do and do not allow. And then also communicating, hey, I know that you requested this change by Tuesday, but unfortunately, I can't fulfill that. How's about this alternative product? How's about pushing this out a week? Can you take a lower capacity? And Greg, there's an old phrase I like to share from the food industry. Uh, a business leader said, hey, give me good news fast and bad news faster. And that's kind of on a related note to what Graham's talking about, about we got to communicate the good and the bad. And if we're communicating the bad, we got to give them options or, or at least communicate how we're remedying the situation. Now, all that and many other things roll up into an effective communication strategy. Your thoughts, Greg? Yeah, my thoughts are honestly that there is no excuse for any size business not to be able to do this technologically. I mean, it is so ubiquitous, the ability to set these policies, to train your people, and to have technology support this. If you are still living in the Stone Age, as some of the companies Graham described, you're about to go extinct because the expectations are now universal, not just among consumers, but among businesses. And the reasoning for that is very good. And that's because we've been doing e-commerce since 1996, right? Almost 30 years. So if you're behind, you're 30 years behind the curve, how much longer do you expect to survive? I mean, you got to do something, step up to something here. I mean, if you can't get yourself online and you can't meet a reasonable lead time promise and reasonable, by the way, is defined by your consumer. Yeah, you got to dig deep, folks. <laughs> dig real deep. All right. So there's good. And, and Greg, it's like you've got a crystal ball like you always do because you know where we're going next because we got policies, which was the first strategy, Graham, that we, we've all spoken to. Communication, which is the second one. And then thirdly, automation, Graham. So tell us more there. Yeah, and, and Greg nailed it again, right? Because, unfortunately, businesses can't operate like they've always operated before, which is exactly why I'm having these conversations with suppliers about how they can better manage customer orders, customer change orders, enhance the communication with those customers, and deliver what the customer is asking with a lower cost to serve, right? And a higher accuracy, right? So in my world, what automating the change order process looks like I touched on earlier that oftentimes these change orders are coming in a free text email. Maybe they're coming in via telephone. You yep. know, oftentimes there's not an EDI coming out that says, hey, I need to change these. That can be automated. Oftentimes it's a pretty manual step. So being able to leverage something like natural language processing, a large language model, to be able to decipher what they're asking for, and then have something that can do those lookups into the ERP 
and then facilitate those transactions, turn that into more of a one-touch process so that you're not flipping through multiple screens, you're not looking at additional third parties to then be able to make those changes. Because again, that's just going to lead up that cost to serve and take a lot of time. One Mm -hmm. of my customers is looking at our change order functionality right now. They already automate the entry of the orders with Oscar, which has saved them an incredible amount of time. But 70% of their day now is spent just changing the existing orders. And those orders oftentimes get changed between one and three times, which means that a customer service rep needs to spend five to 10 minutes three times after the order's already been entered, which is a lot of time, a lot of money. That's just being wasted on, on, on making changes. And if you can reduce that time by 30 to 70%, now you can upskill those individuals to focus on more planning activities, to set better expectations with your customers, to review what shipments are going out, to be able to better learn about potentially alternative products or open them up to some outselling opportunities for some of the accessories that might go with some of those products. Right. You can automate all sorts of different things leveraging modern technology these days, but at a minimum, Greg, automating the blocking and tackling so you can free up your team's time to focus more on the the more human intensive aspects of an operation or customer service or what have you. Your thoughts, Greg? Yep. Set up your technology to do technology things so humans can do human things, right? I mean, if it's so repetitive and so rote that you could draw a rule around it or learn about it in, in AI and do it and let your people deal with the exceptional cases, the exceptional difficulties, the exceptional problems that are out there, or better yet, as Graham just described, let them do those things that are more profit-oriented for the company, upselling, right, customer relations, all of that sort of thing that is so powerful and so much more satisfying for humans to do than this repetitive motion stuff, right? (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I agree. And I like your demonstration. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Graham, you've covered three strategies here from the policy side to the communication side to the, the best part. Our favorite part probably is the automation and the leveraging modern technology side. And that's where you know you and your team over at Esker is doing a ton of work out there in industry, right? So, how would you suggest, I'll tell you, you are efficient today, Graham. We are uh, shooting through a lot of the brilliance you brought here today. But if folks want to start a conversation with you and the Esker team, how would you suggest that? Where do y'all start most of your conversations? You know, there's a couple ways, right? I'm on LinkedIn. Add me on LinkedIn. Shoot me a message. Happy to have the conversation, right? Go to the website. Check out some of the content that we have there. See if it's relevant. But I think even before that, ask your people on the ground floor what they're struggling with. What's taking the most time? What are some of the responsibilities that they have on their plate that they don't have the time to get to, right? Right. Because I think, you know, that's the starting ground in really automating a bad process just makes a bad automated process. Yes. I see you can relate. Right. Right. Destroy the company faster is what it does. Yeah, exactly. You know, so I think the key is understanding some of those challenges, right? And then reaching out, having a conversation with us, you know, uh, you can call our general line again, add me on LinkedIn, shoot us an email fill out our contact us form. We'll ask you some more questions and see if maybe there is an opportunity to automate because the unfortunate truth is you can't always automate everything, but if that opportunity is there, 
then it's worth at least facilitating a conversation. Absolutely. And you referenced earlier, because folks, Graham and the Esker team brought some resources here today. And this is this digital guide that you referenced, aligning yeah. people, process, and technology, an action plan for B2B customer service excellence. So, you know, what's the whiff them here? What, why would you suggest to, folk, to folks check this out, Graham? You know, a couple of reasons. There are some challenges listed in there that companies are facing. If you can relate with those, then maybe automation can help you. And then also there's some stories about some of the successes from being able to automate some of these processes and things to look out for some of those outcomes that, that you might be able to achieve. Outstanding. So folks, check that out. We're going to drop the link right there in the chat. You're one click away to checking out that resource and hopefully put it into work. And also we're going to be dropping Graham's LinkedIn link there and connect with him. Talk Spotted Cow. Talk You Love to Fish, right? We got, we're yep. getting some fishing best practices in the pre-show. You name it. Uh, and of course, how to streamline and put your team in a better position to find success. And Greg, when you think through our conversation here today, what's your singular favorite takeaway that Graham has brought? Well, just that there's hope that even in a situation where virtually every order is an exception as of the one scenario where he described, you can still be better and save a pile of money, right? And you can plan for it and provision for it and align your people and your processes and your technology to make sure that you execute even in a highly disruptive environment as effectively as possible. Well said. Well said, Greg. Well said, Graham. Folks, as we mentioned, uh, the links there to the resource. We also encourage you to connect with Graham. It, bring your fishing stories, bring your supply chain stories, you your name change it. order stories. <laughs> your change order right. stories. That's a good right. I bet but, there's a uh, lot of those. <laughs> and as Greg mentioned, there is hope and there's certainly a better way. And that is what's going to power growth in the new year and then some. So, hey, Graham Smith, always a pleasure to reconnect yeah. with our friends at Esker, business development manager over there. Appreciate what you're doing. And I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving with some of your favorite friends, family, food, and spotted adult cow. beverages and spotted cow. Yeah. That's right. All right. Well, folks. Big thanks to Catherine and Amanda behind the scenes. Greg, always a pleasure to knock out these conversations Likewise. with you. But now, folks, the onus is on you. Take these opportunities and these ideas and what Graham and the Esker team are seeing out in the industry, what successful business leaders and teams are doing. Take just one idea and put it into action, right? Deeds, not words. And with that said, on behalf of our entire team here at Splotch and now Scott Luton, challenging you to do good, to give forward and to be the change that's needed. And we'll see you next time right back here at Sapache Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.